The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. In the time that we have remaining, I want to uh, continue this series, <clears throat> some things we may have forgotten, reacquainting ourselves with some key biblical truths. And today, I want to talk about the love and loving of God. And uh, as was read for us earlier, the passage in 1 John is something that I want to conclude with, but I want to begin this talk with the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, quoting from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Jesus is engaged in an interaction with the Pharisees, and uh, they were up to their usual business of attempting to catch him. Uh, to uh, prove him uh, an insane charlatan, that they could discredit him. Jesus silences them with his answers, and the Bible says that uh, after the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and asked one of them, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I'd like to focus on this simple single passage where Jesus, drawing from Deuteronomy chapter 6, says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. I do think that this is a key truth in the Bible that we need to be reacquainted with, not because of anything specific going on in our world today or in your life today, but because as God's people, we lose sight of this all too often. In fact, you see throughout all of the Scripture the need for the prophets and the leaders of the early church to continually be reminding God's people that they are to love Him. And if it were so easy to love God in a practical sense, why all the need for the reminding in Scripture? And down through the ages since the closing of the canon, as preachers have called out to God's people to remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There must be something in it that we're missing too often that we need to be reminded. And I think that that's true always because we're human. This though, for us today, I think, has some serious implications because of the speed and volume with which you and I are bombarded on a daily basis. In fact, I would make the argument that so many things vie for not only our attention but our affection that it becomes easy to follow our immediate inclinations and be swept along into loving others and other things so much that we actually end up loving them with more attentiveness than we do our Creator, Sustainer, and Savior. This is why we need to be reminded so often of this biblical truth. We are constantly being bombarded, not just with things that want our attention 
that want us to spend money on them or want us to think about them. We're constantly being bombarded with things and with, with ideas and with notions and images and others that vie for our affection, that want us to set our affections on them and our attention on them, so much so that we end up being swept along without little regard for what's happening to us, and all of a sudden, we realize that without being intentional, we are actually being more attentive to our relationship with others or other things more than we are with our, to our relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And that's a problem for us, and it happens very easily. Think about all the things that, that, you, would, that you would say if someone says, well, what do you love? Well, that list is significant, right? It could be other people, your family, your friends, a significant other, a pet, a place, a movie, a television show, an ice cream flavor. There's lots of stuff that you could claim to love. But at what point are you so swept along in a day where we don't really stop to bring intentionality to bear on loving, do you find yourself actually directing your affections and attentions to, to some other person or to some other things, animate or inanimate, ideas, more than we're contemplating and reflecting on and loving and being attentive to our affections that are to be set upon our Heavenly Father? That's a dilemma for us as human beings in the world. And I would argue that in the world in which we live, the speed and volume with which we're being bombarded and pulled in particular directions coupled with the cultural norm, norm, normalization of us being moved by our immediate reactions, responses, preferences, and feelings towards something. That we don't have to actually judge something, we just kind of go along. I feel this, therefore it must be good and true. Instead of stopping for a minute and saying the things on which we set our affections should be worthy of those affections. Actually, we're going to conclude with this. It's not a problem. You say, well, well, if we're supposed to love others, are we supposed to judge them as worthy? Well, it's actually true that in 1 John what we see is we love others because we want to love what God loves. Human beings made in His image and likeness. So yes, loving other human beings is that we are setting our affections on something worthy of those affections. Because human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. But if you set your affections on a person or a relationship because of what you get from it or what, other, what others perceive of you because of that relationship, well then something is amiss. And in the words of Jesus here, answering these legalists, the, both the Sadducees and the Pharisees, Jesus is giving us something profound to reflect upon, referring to it as the great commandment. Think about this. To love God as Jesus teaches here with all our heart, soul and mind, we must see a couple of things. The primacy of God, the worthiness and majesty of God, and the matchless love of God that was lavished upon us. This is not a blind and passive obedience, but an intentional and worshipful act of submission. What Jesus is doing here in outlining that loving God, God's expectation, He's outlining it as the greatest commandment. Therefore, loving God is 
a worshipful act of submission. You are not the one who has dominion over this. You don't say, I will love God because I choose to love God. I like loving God. He'll be pleased that I love Him. It'll honor Him that I love Him. It'll actually, I, I'm in control of my feelings and I choose to bestow them upon God. Actually, what Jesus is outlining here is fulfillment of the great commandments. When your eyes and your mind and your heart and your soul is full of who God is, you are moved to love Him. You are compelled to love Him. And when you set your affection on Him and you love Him, it's an act of worshipful submission to the person of God. It's very interesting, I think, what Jesus does here in recalling this passage from Deuteronomy in the outlining of the law and the instruction that these things are to be taught to our children and our children's children, that we wouldn't lose sight of this this important truth that we are to love the Lord our God with everything that we have. And in so doing, we are proclaiming His primacy. What does that mean? He is above and before all things. He's the maker of everything that is. The sustainer of everything that is. The only one who receives all glory and honor together with the Son and the Spirit. This is God. And when we see God as He is, we recognize the primacy of God. He is not something or someone that we've attached to us. He is the one on whom we have set our hearts and souls and minds. And in a world that tells us that we actually have authority over all, we actually decide, we, we actually decide what is true and we actually decide what is right, what Jesus is saying here is when you, when you recognize the primacy of God, then you love Him with all that you have. He occupies it all. He is above all, before all, over all, in all, through all. This is the way we think about Jesus as His followers. This is what our verse is based on for the year. In Him all things hold together. The centrality and the primacy of the triune God. And His worthiness and majesty that we actually recognize who He is and how worthy He is of our attention and affections. And the matchless love of God lavished upon us, right? For this we know that God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. He loves us in a matchless way, in a way none of us can fully comprehend or replicate. But it's not a blind, passive obedience We just say, yeah, I'm supposed to love God, so I love God. It's actually something that should be intentional and worshipful as an act of submission. And it is based upon understanding who God is. I think it's so tempting to to separate love from knowledge, and yet it's really hard to love something or someone without some degree of knowledge. My wife, we bookended the weekend. Dawn spoke on Friday. I love my wife dearly. And if you ask me the question, you know, why do you love your wife? And I said, I, I don't know, I'm supposed to. That wouldn't get me very many points, right? I love her because people expect me to love her. I love her. It, it, it's, it's not that, right? You don't want that sort of superficial uh, uh, vacuous kind of affection to be set on someone. Why do you, why do you love someone, right? You have a more robust answer for that. But it's also true that, that, 
that, you know, even in the Scripture we see, and we're going to see this, that people say they love God. Do they really love God? Well, how would we know? Well, first of all, if that love is based upon knowledge, so if you said, if you asked me, do you love your wife? Oh, yes, I love my wife. And you said, uh, what color are eyes? And I said, I have no idea. Again, not a good idea, right, to do that. What color are her eyes? I should have an answer, right? I should have an answer. When was she born? Where was she born? I should have an answer. Where did she go to school? How many people are in her family? If I don't know those things and I say I love her, you would question how much I love her. Now, I don't love her because she has brown eyes and grew up in Lancaster and has two sisters. But if I didn't know those things, you would wonder how much I actually love her. You would also wonder sort of if I said I loved her and didn't treat her as though I loved her. Well, how much more so when it comes to our relationship with God? To love God as Jesus teaches is something more than just saying you love Him or feeling like you love Him. To love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we must be thoughtful and intentional. It's not infatuation or a feeling of love. It's a comprehensive commitment of our whole being to adore, respect, serve, and seek Him as Almighty God and Father. Jesus is answering these religious leaders saying, this is the great commandment. This is what He wants from us. That we would love Him this way. This comprehensively. This intentionally. This thoughtfully. Not in the same way that we love some other inanimate object in the world or a flavor of ice cream, but something that is built on something substantive, who He is. And to, to love Him in this comprehensive way is a powerful thing. All of us. You can spend your time parsing out what Jesus means here by heart and soul and mind and what was meant in Deuteronomy and the words used there. But the simple matter is this, that both in Deuteronomy and in the Matthew passage, you love God with everything you have. That is different than the kind of fleeting, superfluous infatuation that permeates our world today. Where you're just moved instantly by an image or a sound or a scent to act according to your basest reactions. That's not what this is. This is to love God with all that you have and all that you are. So if we start asking ourselves the question, do I love God that way? We should be very careful not to answer yes. Because we are frail humans. But we should want to love Him this way. We should strive to love Him this way. We should ask Him for the grace to love Him this way. This is not simply being swept along by your feelings for God. If we read anything in the Scripture about the servants of God, there are times when they don't know He's there. They don't feel like He's there. They don't feel like trusting Him. They don't feel like believing in Him. And they don't feel like loving Him. And God says, do it anyway because I haven't moved and I haven't changed. This is the other part of this love is there's a discipline to it. That we would remember that this is true. That God wants us to love Him this way. And He's Love, we love Him this way because He first loved us. One of the things that happens when we spend time reflecting upon this simple yet penetrating verse of Scripture 
that outlines the great commandment and what God expects of us in terms of love is that the more we think on it and the more we dwell on it and the more we comprehend it and the more we try to wrestle with it and the more we think about the way it works itself out, this is what happens. We end up finding ourselves in this situation. We love Him. We want to love Him more. We want to love Him this way. So we want to know more of Him. We want His Word. We want to know more about His Son. We want to, we want to meditate on His grace and love and mercy more often. We want, we want to sing His praises. We want to be more familiar with Him. We want to know what He has done down through the ages. We want to know what He is doing in this world now. We want to know what He is doing in the lives of others. We want to know who God is and what He is about and what He is doing. And we want to know what He has set His affections on. Which means if we want to love Him, we should be very careful to glean from Scripture the things that displease Him and the things that please Him. We should want the things that please Him and we should avoid the things that displease Him. Not because He'll get us if we don't, but because we love Him and want to love what He loves. He loves truth. He loves righteousness. He loves purity. He loves honor. He loves mercy. He loves grace. He loves goodness. He loves forgiveness. These are the things that we know. What pleases God should be the things that we seek. And in so doing, we are demonstrating that we love Him. But also, as was read for us at the beginning of chapel, we have to love one another. It works this way. It's very simple. People say they love God. They give verbal assent to it. But do they really? He says, look, if we love God, we love one another. Loving one another as we ought to is an outworking of our loving God. We are to love what He loves. We are to love as we have been loved. This is not an oppressive obligation meant to inconvenience you, but it's an integral implication of our love of God. If we love Him and desire to love Him this way and are in pursuit of Him in this way, then it should spill over into the way we view and treat and love one another. We should love the things that God made. His beautiful creation. We should love the Gospel of Jesus Christ. His ultimate act of love. We should love one another to the degree that we are willing to lay down our lives for one another. For there is no greater love than that. We should want to love others and love the things that God has made and done because we love God. It's not the greatest commandment because it's necessarily the most profound and looks the best on a wall somewhere. It's not the greatest commandment because if you don't do it, it carries the greatest penalty. Jesus presents it as the greatest commandment because for from it all other things flow. We should be intentional and thoughtful about setting our affections on the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind, with all of us, all that we have and all that we are. And we should be mindful of that daily because the Lord knows there are plenty of things in this world that distract us from it. You want to show love for one another? Remind one another of the goodness, grace, love, and mercy of God and encourage one another to love Him with all our hearts, souls, and minds. Let's pray. Father in heaven, for Your Word, we thank You. For Your matchless love for us, we give You praise. We thank You for 
all the blessings that we enjoy, but we thank you this morning for not only the love that you have lavished upon us, but the privilege to love you in return. And we ask for the faith to believe that you are, that you desire to be pursued and desire to be loved. We ask for the grace to love you as we ought. We ask that you would bend our wills to yours, that we might submit ourselves in humble commitment to loving you with all our hearts, souls, and minds. In so doing, we observe this greatest commandment. And Father, we ask that it would spill out into our relationships, attitudes, and actions towards others. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Have a great week.